You're listening to the Learn Like a CPA podcast, where we talk about all things real estate, tax strategy, and personal finance. Whether you're a real estate investor looking to scale your portfolio, or you're an individual wanting to take your financial freedom journey to the next level. Welcome back to the Learn Like a CPA podcast. Today we're going to be doing another round of Q&A centered around real estate tax. Uh, today I got a question it says, I own two long-term rentals in an LLC. I own a commercial building in a separate LLC. I will be buying an Airbnb short-term rental property here in the near future. Should I throw that property in the long-term LLC or do a separate LLC since those tax deductions will be able to help write off some of my W-2 income? Well, let me first start off by saying whether or not you have an LLC or not has no bearing on if you're able to take the tax deductions or not. You're able to take tax deductions whether or not you have an LLC. So let's kind of clear that up, right? So whether or not I have an LLC or I do or I don't, I'm still able to take those tax deductions. So don't feel the need that you have to have an LLC in order to have tax deductions. Now, uh, why, why do we consider an LLC? That's for asset protection purposes, something that you'd want to talk to an, an attorney about. The thing with, say, single-member LLCs, it's very easy to get a property in and out of that LLC if you need to. Maybe you need to refinance it in your personal name or contribute it in versus out. Single-member LLCs offer a lot of flexibility in that regard. But again, no bearing when it comes to tax purposes. However, from a liability standpoint, I will say... Uh, you know, if I have, and I'll go to the whiteboard here, if I have a property that let's say I use for long-term rental use, right? And I have this inside of an LLC, okay? And then I have a property that's used on a short-term rental basis, okay? I, because there's going to be more people coming in and out of this STR, I would want to keep these separate if it were me. If it were me, I would keep these separate just because you're, you have so much liability, more liability coming from the short-term rental property uh, just because of the amount of guests or volume that you're going to have, things that can go wrong, that you want to keep this this uh, short-term rental separate from your long-term rental or your other properties. So again, no bearing on tax purposes and I'm not an attorney, so it should not constitute this as legal advice, but I would look to keep those two separate just because you don't want to be liable, right? If somebody slips and falls in your short-term rental, if they're inside of the same LLC as the long-term rental or other properties, uh, the, the the plaintiff can potentially come after your short-term rental and your long-term rentals. We would want to keep these separate from a liability purpose. But again, from a tax perspective, we're all good. Whether or not we have them in uh, the same LLC or not, or no LLC at all, uh, doesn't matter from a tax perspective. The second question is what is the best way to hold rental properties? I've heard people that hold them in their name, personal names, LLCs, but what is the most optimal structure to hold your rental properties? Okay, great question. So this is the rule of thumb. Rental properties, rental real estate, anything that appreciates goes up in value should be held either in your personal name with a good umbrella policy, insurance policy, single member LLCs or partnerships tax LLCs taxed as a partnership. Okay. So we have personal name, single member LLC or 
multi-member LLC, so if you got one, more than one owner, taxed as a partnership. We do not want to hold rental real estate inside C corporations, C corp, corporations, or S corporations. There are some adverse tax consequences that come with holding any sort of appreciating asset inside of these two uh, corporations. We don't, and it also makes it harder to get assets in and out of that entity or that legal structure. But if you hold real estate in your personal name, a single member LLC or a multi-member LLC tax as a partnership, that's going to be the most favorable when it comes to rental real estate. Uh, so again, you, we don't always need the LLC. Uh, it's there if you want the liability protection, but remember from a tax perspective, it doesn't matter whether or not you have it in your personal name or a single member LLC, you're still going to be able to uh, take advantage of the tax benefits when it comes to rental real estate. So the next question I have is since real estate is already tax advantaged, which it is due to the depreciation, appreciation, equity benefits, does it make sense to hold rental real estate inside of your self-directed IRA? Seems like it isn't worth the hassle and all the hoops that you have to jump through. Um, okay, so let's start off by talking about some of the, I guess, some of those hoops that you have to jump through when, with the self-directed IRA. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the self-directed IRA is a way for you to take your 401k, your IRA, any, any retirement assets that are invested in the stock market or Wall Street, and use those to self-direct those and actually buy real estate with it. Um, in fact, you could buy crypto with your self-directed IRA. You could buy real estate, other businesses. There's a lot of stuff you can buy with your self-directed IRA. But let's talk about it. Well, what are some of the hassles? Well, one of the biggest hassles with the self-directed IRA is uh, there's no self-dealing. No self-dealing. Which means if you own a rental property you're not allowed to work on the rental property itself. You have to hire that work out to somebody else. Um, you can't collect any of the cash. That cash belongs to your IRA account, not you. So it's not going to provide you any sort of cash flow um, in the short term because it's all going to go back to your IRA account. Um, another, another con of the self-directed IRA is an IRA account or a 401k account is all taxed as ordinary income. So whether or not you hold that, that rental property inside of your IRA account for one year, 10 years, 30 years, when you, when you finally go to liquidate that account and withdraw the money, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates versus if you were to just buy real estate outright, um, you would have long-term capital gains rates, right? Zero, 15, or 20% as opposed to your ordinary income tax rates. So by sticking real estate inside of self-directed IRAs, you're going to subject yourself to ordinary income tax rather than you could have had capital gains. But another big idea is uh, you're not able, there's you're not going to be able to generate any passive losses to offset other properties. And I've talked about this in some of my previous episodes where we want all of our losses. You know, let's say I have a loss on property B. I want property B's loss to offset properties A income. And if I have the, these rental properties inside of a self-directed IRA, I'm not able to flow through those losses to my tax return. Those losses are trapped inside of that IRA account and they carry forward within that IRA account, but they're trapped there. Uh, so if you're in your early stages of your investing, I would say 
you're better off buying real estate in your in your name or in an LLC as opposed to self-directing your IRA. Um, I do think there's a place for wanting to self-direct your IRA in the in the idea that you're able to build you're able to take money that was earmarked for 401k for the stock market and instead use it to do what you know and love, which might be real estate or investing in other businesses. You're able to use that in something of a capacity that you have more control over as opposed to Wall Street or the stock market. But again, for somebody that's just starting off, I would prefer to hold real estate in your personal name or an LLC uh, as opposed to a self-directed IRA account. The fourth question that we're going to talk about today is somebody says, I hear a lot about this, this strategy rich people do that's called buy, borrow, and die. Sounds pretty morbid. Uh, although it sounds fairly simple, can you explain it in layman's terms and, and why is this? Okay, great question. So the buy, borrow, and die strategy, uh, it, it's been around forever and it has to deal with buying and holding assets and transferring them to your heirs, okay? So because the most significant part about this entire process is that when you transfer assets to your heirs, they're going to receive those assets tax-free with a step-up in basis, which means they're not gonna pay any taxes on the assets that they receive. As long as these assets are not in retirement accounts, they're going to be able to receive them at the fair market value of what they're worth and not have to pay any taxes. You know, but let's go over an example, right? If I, you know, let's say I bought a $100,000 house uh, 30, 40 years ago, and now this, this same house is now worth a million dollars, and I pass away, um, this house that's now worth a million is able to go to my assets, or go to my heirs tax-free, right? So this $900,000 gain that I was sitting on of appreciation goes to my heirs t completely tax-free with also what's known as a step-up in basis. So they receive this property at a million dollars and it's worth a million dollars, but they don't have to pay any taxes on this million dollars. The $900,000 of appreciation between what I pay for the asset and now what it's worth uh, is not a taxable event. The buy and borrow part of that strategy come into play. When I buy an asset, I use leverage, right? With real estate, you're typically putting 20, 25% down sometimes. So with the buy part of it is, you know, I'm able to take my, let's say 50 grand and I'm able to buy a $200,000 asset, right? By putting 20 to 25% down. Uh, I'm borrowing, borrowing this, the difference here. I'm able to borrow this 150,000 from the bank. And I've spoken previously in some of my other podcasts that borrowing money or using debt is not a taxable event, right? So I'm able to borrow that money tax-free. I'm using 50,000 of my own money to control $200,000 worth of real estate. And the borrowing part of that, right? So we had buy, borrow, and then eventually die, is that as this, as this real estate goes up in value over time, so this, if we go back to this, this property here, um, as this property goes up over time, right? So maybe it goes up to 300,000 and then it goes up to 700,000 and then it goes up to a million. Over this course of this period, I'm able to borrow all the way out through this. I'm able to borrow that money uh, from the bank 
cash out refinance. As that property goes up in value, I'm able to leverage that equity via non-taxable event. So even though I put in a hundred thousand, uh, bought a hundred thousand dollar house, and, and it's now worth a million. I'm able to, as that appreciates in value, goes up $900,000, I'm able to borrow against that every single step of the way. And that's the that's the borrow part, right? So of the strategy, buy, borrow, and die, those are pretty much the steps. I'm able to buy using leverage, which is a non-taxable event. As that asset appreciates in value, I'm able to borrow against the asset. Again, a non-taxable event, right? Debt is not, debt is not a taxable event or refinancing. And then when I pass away, the asset goes to my heirs, my beneficiaries, tax-free with a step-up in basis. So all three parts of that strategy, the buy, borrow, and die, are all tax-free. Uh, and that's what it's, That's why it's called the buy, borrow, and die strategy. Uh, you see wealthy people use this a lot with their stocks. Um, the Elon Musk, Bezos, Gates of the world are all doing this with their equity, their stocks, their real estate. Um, and you can do this too, just on a, maybe on a smaller scale, but you're able to buy assets that go up in value, you're able to borrow against them, and then ultimately they'll go to your heirs um, tax-free. So that's it for today, guys. Uh, we covered a lot. We, we talked about entity structure. We talked about self-directed IRAs. We talked about borrowing against our assets. I will also be hosting my first boot camp this fall centered around short-term rental tax. If you want information about it as well as early bird pricing, check out the link in the show notes below. And if you like this show, be sure to give me a review on Spotify or Apple. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer on the show, hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at learnlikeacpa. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.